You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Only fitting we play that video intro this week because we had the three player representatives, I guess, players themselves or family representatives of the inaugural Ring of Honor class for the Cincinnati Bengals in that little intro. It's a big week in Cincinnati for a number of reasons honoring those, that initial class of Ring of Honor uh, recipients, as well as a lot of interesting people in town for the game and a primetime game on TV. I'm Anthony Gazenza with the Orange and Black Insider coming at you at a special time on Wednesday evening, joined by my partner in crime, John Sheeran. John, what's up, buddy? Yeah, good timing for the entire Bengals fandom nation to kind of all congregate in Cincinnati. It'd be kind of awkward if they left Pittsburgh with a blown lead there, I guess. So, yeah, <laughs> they couldn't really time this any better. Yeah, so... We've we've had a an insanely busy week, not only on this show but on CincyJungle.com. We've had uh, you know water cooler chat on this show. We had JP Acosta from SB Nation's Big Cat Country join us to preview the game. We have this show. We're gonna have a fantasy football show. We're gonna have a post game show, and the slew of articles, updates on CincyJungle.com. So we have had an extremely busy week on a short week, but it's been fun. And there's a lot of our colleagues, a lot of our Cincy Jungle brethren in Cincinnati on hand for this game. It's it's a pretty cool week. We're going to talk about the Bengals hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars on Thursday night football at Paul Brown Stadium and all the festivities going on there. We have a, a state your case this week, a soundbite of the week. And of course, we're going to break down the big win by the Cincinnati Bengals over the Pittsburgh Steelers. And in case you're new to this program, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel right under John's left shoulder there. There's a little box. You can click on that, subscribe, and click that bell to get notified when we go live and when new material is available. All of our stuff is on every major audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. All of the major ones were there. So subscribe and leave us a review if you could. That would help us out, whether it's for our show, Orange is the New Black from Ace and Zim, Matt Minix, Chalk Talk, any of those. We appreciate the support how you subscribe, leaving us a review, all that good stuff. All right, let's 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 get right to it now that some of that housekeeping stuff is out of the way, John. Bengals win a big one and, and win one pretty handily at Heinz Field, 24 to 10. It wasn't always pretty. There were some moments that were very frustrating late in the game, but overall, the Bengals take care of business against their rivals and do so beating them by two touchdowns. It wasn't just like the gimmick stuff from last December, right? It was the, the Steelers mostly healthy, mostly them 
with high expectations for themselves and the Bengals with their expected plan with most of their starters available going into a place that they haven't won since 2015. They haven't won by more than 10 points since before I was alive. It, it meant it means a lot. And I, I think during the game when they were up by like 24 to seven or 24 to 10, like right before, I guess Boswell missed that field goal. I'm like, okay, this is the part of the, of the game where usually the Bengals will give up some points and kind of let the Steelers come back a little bit. And then it'll, the score will look a little bit closer than what the game actually was, but then it didn't happen. And I think part of that was just because like this Bengals team, despite their flaws, despite their still questionable coaching inadequacies and just their questionable game plan early on this year, that they're just better than this team right now. And that is very indicative of just how the last, what, six or seven games for the Steelers has been going back to last season and how the Bengals looked against them last season and just the overall decline of that once successful franchise that's now entering a potentially very dark period for them. But it's also kind of the upswing of just the Bengals in comparison. Like, there's still a lot of questions about this Bengals team, but I think right now it's very clear what the dynamic with this rivalry is. It's very much back to being competitive like it was in the early 2010s. If you go on ESPN, Stephen A. Smith, Ryan Clark, known Steelers homers, Ryan Clark played for the team. They are in a bit of a state of, uh, I, I mean, disappointment is definitely one of them, but really kind of scared for the state of the franchise, as you kind of said, in terms of what's the succession plan beyond Ben Roethlisberger? Is Ben Roethlisberger officially washed up in his career? Is he at the end, at the very, very, very end of a great Hall of Fame career? Um, what's next for the Steelers. All of those have kind of been the narrative and the Bengals, you know, Hey, good win for them was kind of the back was on the back burner. I'm going to play. We usually do this as a little bit of a standalone segment, but I think it ties in well to one of the talking points for this game, John, I'm going to play. I'm sure a lot of people have seen this at this point, Tyler Boyd talking about what he saw at the end of this game against the Steelers. This is courtesy of Joe Danaman of Fox 19 and numerous other Cincinnati media outlets, Steelers media outlets. It's, it's pretty readily available. So if you haven't heard it yet, uh, it's been out there for a couple of days. This was Tyler Boyd on Monday talking about an uncharacteristic type of personality from the Pittsburgh Steelers in this game. The thing about that win was not only did the Steelers feel that everybody in the country felt it because the last plays of the game for them they gave up. You could see it. They had three drops in a row. And that's for a team to see that is giving us more power, giving us the the the, the antidote to know how good we are, you know. So for a team to just lay down like that when the, before the game is over, because no matter what, no matter how much we're losing by or whatever the case may be, I know me and I know us, we're not giving up. We're going to continue to try to make plays and make something happen. But they portrayed it to the, to the whole uh, nation on TV with what, what they were about and how they gave up. So, I mean, we just got to take advantage. So a number of set of, of questions that can come from this, John, my first impression of it personally was that, look, the Bengals in years past have had guys that would kind of run their mouth a little bit, whether it was in the mid two thousands with, with that flashy team with, with Ocho and Carson and all of them. And, you know, the, the Hushman Zada wiping his cleats with the towel and all that kind of stuff. There was a lot of that, and and unfortunately, at times, there wasn't a lot of substance to back up some of that flash and that trash talk with the Bengals in this rivalry. Um, 
I kind of take, if this was one of basically like three people on the Bengals roster, that's, that's who I would take a sentiment like this seriously from one would be Mike Hilton. The other would be Sean Davis who played for the Steelers. And the other is Tyler Boyd who grew up in Pittsburgh, played football in Pittsburgh at the university of Pittsburgh, grew up a Steeler fan. So for him to say this kind of bears a lot of weight. I want to get your opinion on that. And I got to kind of want to follow that up with what we were just kind of talking about. Is this kind of a turning point for the Cincinnati Bengals and Zach Taylor with this win? Or is this kind of nothing more than, hey, Bengals taking advantage of a lesser talented Steelers team, a couple of key injuries on their side of the ball and good win, but let's not take too much stock in it. What do you, what do you make of those two points? I think you brought up a good point with Tyler Boyd being amongst that group, not just because of his connections with the Steelers, but I mean, he's been with this team for longer than most um, players on this roster. He has seen this exact game go the opposite way against this exact team. Like just look at last year when they were at Pittsburgh, that game was a blowout. And I think you could make the argument that, you know, I'm not sure that the Bengals really fought to the end in that one. Like this has happened before only this time that the script was flipped. So he, knows what that feels like on the other end of it. So he can definitely identify it when he sees it in front of him. And, and, and if he sees it, then we all could see it too. Like that was extremely evident. There was nothing that the Steelers could do in this game to, to keep up with the Bengals. And it's not like the Bengals were an offensive juggernaut. They had a couple of good drives. They scored off short fields on two turnovers, but you know, they gave the Steelers chances to come back in this game and the Steelers could not answer on offense outside of just two really long drives. that I think both ended in a combined like three points. Like mm-hmm. they, they, they were answerless. Their, their only answer was Najee Harris throwing to him 15 times a game out wide. And that ended up being their answer on fourth and 10 for some God awful. <laughs> so, I think that leads into just how this game is like what the narrative is, I guess. Like it does feel like the Steelers just collapsed and realized mm-hmm. all of their deficiencies in one week. Not saying that the Bengals didn't play well. The defense is still dominant right now. It's still clicking on all cylinders. The offense has that new dimension of an explosive vertical throw on the outside. Again, for the third straight week, it's very evident that that's part of this offense. And they're run blocking really well against, even though they had some injuries on the defensive line, the Steelers play pretty sound football up, up front. And the Bengals offensive line just consistently got pushed against them. And Joe Mixon had his most efficient day of the season so far. They did some great things, but... Honestly, if Ben Roethlisberger doesn't look like a senior citizen and if they have like maybe one or two more pass rushers, this game is probably closer. But the Steelers just flat out looked dead out there. And I think that was probably the biggest reason why this game ended up what it was. That's and and part of that, I think, has to do with some of the personnel losses. But I think they they just maybe ran into a different Bengals team, a, a more aggressive Bengals team. And really the last two times the Bengals and the Steelers have played each other, the Bengals have taken it to them. And that's with Ryan Finley quarterbacking one of them and Joe Burrow quarterbacking this one. I I like what you said about what the offense was. um, You know, there was kind of a Jekyll and Hyde effect with the Bengals offense in this game, namely the fact that, and where I thought this game was one John on, on at least for the Bengals offense were the couple of drives sandwiched around halftime. And if you remember in the Minnesota game in week one, the Bengals scored a touchdown right before halftime came out and scored more points again after halftime as they received the ball. The same thing happened here. 10 points right before and combined right before and after halftime really kind of made a big, big difference. Yes, you can point to a number of big plays by Logan Wilson and the defense and holding strong and and not allowing points and whatnot. But I thought that that was a major part, a major storyline in this game that 
yeah, it's talked about a little bit, but not really as much as some of the Jamar Chase plays and whatnot. It's it's the fact that the Bengals are were able to get those 10 points around halftime. I think that made a big difference and was a big gut punch to the Steelers. It's going back to Coach Minnick's uh, philosophy, just winning the middle eight, you know, those final four minutes in the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. But that was also just a thought in my mind, like going into halftime tied against the Steelers for the last 15 years, that is an absolute win for this team. Not this time. Not when you have guys like Jamar Chase on the outside and a guy like Joe Burrow that can execute a flawless two-minute drill, a two-minute drill that probably should have included two 30-yard passes if Boyd didn't drop it over the middle on the, like the same concept that uh, they ended up getting the 34-yard touchdown with. But that was that was such an eye-opener for me. It just continued to validate I think the overall aggressiveness that Zach Taylor has in these situations where, you know, you have two minutes left, you have two timeouts. I made the observation like during the game, like Marvin Lewis is already walking to, to the locker room in that situation. Yeah. Like he's running the ball. Yeah. He's, he's taking the, the tie. He's taking the ball at the start of the second half. Not this time. Not when you have this offense. Not when you have this offense that goes against the traditional mantra of how to compete in the AFC North, run the ball, play solid defense. No, we're going to, provide explosion against you and we're going to take advantage of your of your bad cornerbacks on the outside and we're going to throw up the ball to jamar chase because he's telling joe burrow in the huddle just throw it up and i'll go get it and that made such a huge mental impact i think in this game and then they got the field goal at the at the start of the second half and continued to pour on a great game by jamar chase showing both the explosive ability getting the long touchdown catch and then the shorter one nine yards and, and doing some of the work that T. Higgins would do in the red zone in that shorter yardage work. But great game by him, two touchdowns. He's got four in the first three games. I think what broke Randy Moss's rookie record for a, the youngest receiver to get four touchdowns in his first three games, that sort of thing, and just continues to be everything and more as advertised. Interesting thing you bring up, though, John, and, and I, I, you know, there were a lot of nice things to like about the offense. Joe Mixon, five yards per carry. Jackson Carmen, the highest rated pro football focus pass protector on the Bengals offensive line in his first start against the Steelers on the road. I mean, there's all, there's a lot of things that you like about this one. However, there were three drives in the game on offense at the end of the game towards the end of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter. One at the end of the fourth quarter was a little bit kind of like, wow, this is just kind of grind the clock time. But the Bengals had a real chance at, at a lot a lot of different points in this game to just really slam the door, really slam the door, get a couple of first downs, do some different things. So as great of a play call and as much as we want to applaud Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow and company for the, the aggressiveness right before the half and whatnot, there were some questionable decisions in terms of play calls and, and things of that nature on these three drives I'm talking about. They had... I believe anywhere from 14 to 17 point leads on those drives there. And they went nine plays for 21 yards, no first downs. They had a penalty and they ran a couple of empty concepts at times where you go, well, you know, Joe Mixon is getting a lot of yards per carry here in, in more traditional. So what, what, what are we doing here? Right. I mean, it just kind of felt like that was maybe more grind the clock time and maybe it's, it's nitpicky at this point, but that's one thing on offense where I think a lot of people go, what happened there? Yeah, I mean, you just look at the second half drive sheet, right? You had the field goal to start. You had Logan Wilson's second interception of the game, which led to a three-play drive that had Jamar Chase's yeah. second touchdown of the game. Steelers miss a field goal, then the Bengals punt, punt, punt with a combined, I believe, what is that, 13 plays? So they got one first down in those three drives. Compared to the Steelers, 
who this is a mind-blowing stat, and their two drives sandwiched in between those three punts, they ran 34 40. plays. Yeah. 34 plays and got three points off of it. The defense deserves all the credit in the world for the biggest bend and don't break job of their life on those two drives. But yeah, the offense didn't do them any favors. And that's part of why Joe Burrow only threw the ball like 18 times and Joe Mixon ran it 18 times. Yes, they were efficient in the times that they did score, but they didn't sustain drives and they didn't do the defense any favors at all. So even though there's still maybe some minor questions with this defense. Is it actually as legit as the numbers say because of the offenses that they've gone up against? They haven't got a lot of favors from their offense in comparison. Like just last week when they had to deal with the complete ineptitude against the Bears and they did their absolute best to keep that game close. And, and in this game, even though the Steelers were dead on offense, aside from Najee Harris catching the ball, you know they didn't get any breaks in the second half when the Steelers were trying to come back. So... I guess if we want to end on a a better note, um, the the Bengals defense played pretty well. Like you said, they ultimate bend but don't break in those two drives at the end of the game. Logan Wilson having the two interceptions, the team getting by at cornerback with their two top cornerbacks out. I mean, Awuzie played a lot in this game, but he ended up leaving. May not play this week. We'll talk about that in a sec, but. Uh, you know, I mean, the Bengals had been in no T Higgins still win the game by 14 points. The D the defense is playing pretty well, particularly John, that defensive line, Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard were just omnipresent. It would seem in that off the edge in this game, Ogan Joby and the guys in the middle just are, are creating a really formidable rotation. BJ Hill, another sack, just a lot of good play up front. And I think we're starting to kind of see, the the fruits of this, uh, you know, this mind's eye of Lou Anarumo that he's had for the past couple of years where he's wanted this rotation up front. He's wanted to mix things up. And finally, he has the depth and the health on the defensive line to be able to do that. It really does help when you play against an actual tree at quarterback. It was so... <laughs> It was, I was embarrassed for him. I, I honestly think like he should have pulled like Avante Davis out there and just retire in the middle of the game. It's the reference to when Avante Davis <laughs> did that that. against the Bengals in the preseason with the Bills. Like it was, it was dreadful. It was unlike any Ben Roethlisberger performance I've ever seen before. And he didn't, he didn't play well at all last year in December and especially towards this down the stretch for the Steelers season last year. But I mean, it's, it's both. I think it's the fact that Ben has never been this. Um, just stationary and lack of mobility, which allowed the Bengals to finish a lot of those sacks that in the past, when they played that quarterback in that stadium, he would get out of the grasp of a lot of would-be sacks mm-hmm. and extend some plays. But that is the difference, right? It's not only Trey Hendrickson winning at a high rate against the, um, the Steelers' left tackle or Sam Hubbard getting um, his first sack and a half against two Steelers' right tackles, but it's the interior presence that was missing for at least a couple years now, Larry Ogunjobi, DJ Reader, BJ Hill continue to all play at a high level and take advantage of the the youth of that Steelers interior. But that is usually the difference when you play the Steelers when they're at their best, right? It's the interior pressure that can get Ben off of his rocker and limit the amount of plays that he can extend. But at this point, I don't, I don't think there's anything left for him to do, even if there is no pass rush. I agree with you. There were a couple of times. I mean, I, he made one play with his legs where he kind of, had Logan Wilson make a decision, right? Where he kind of like juked a little bit with the football and it's like, am I either going to run it around you or am I going to try and flip it over your head and put Logan Wilson in a, you know, a real tough spot there. He ended up kind of faking the throw and running around it for a a first down conversion. Other than that, 
it's not the same backyard football Ben Roethlisberger that we all have seen. He tripped over air. He tripped over he air. He yeah. fell. He fell on his own shoelaces. There was there was a banana peel out there. It's like a get Mario him out, get him out of there. Get him out of there. Someone should have done the Mario Kart. Uh, they throw a banana peel out there and slip and fall. Yeah, you know, I it was uh, it was a, a very for for seeing this rivalry and its dynamic for so many years and seeing the Bengals just trip over their own feet and and do other things that uh, kind of shoot themselves in the foot. They they came out, they played well. One other thing that I want to say, John, I don't know if you noticed this. I, I put up a couple of clips on my Twitter account, just kind of rewatching the game briefly as I did an article for Cincy Jungle. There was some stuff up until the early part of the third quarter, it seemed that the Steelers were doing some things after the whistle, nothing super egregious where it was punches or all kinds of different things, just little late, little late pushes, little late things that I think they were trying to go the Bengals into doing something dumb as they have in years past. Bengals didn't do it. And they basically just full blown ignored it and made their first down signs kept going, kept moving the ball. I don't know if that's something you noticed, but it's something I picked up on. Not every single play, but there were a handful of plays where I saw some of this stuff. I'm not usually a huge proponent of like analyzing this stuff because it really is hard to tell from just watching it on TV. But what stood out to me was Tyler Boyd's first reception of the game when he was tackled out of bounds. And then he kind of got flipped over by, I believe it was Cameron Sutton. And then he got up and then, you know, in, in the past, that could be a situation where things get a little chippy, but it looked like Boyd like actually wanted the smoke, you know, like he was ready for this moment. This is the, the stadium that he played college football in and he dominated with in Pitt. He had never scored a touchdown in, in this place. He had one decent game uh, there as a rookie, but he's never really played that well in the orange and black in the stadium. But he got back up. He started clapping. He was like kind of fired up the very next play. They threw at him. He breaks a tackle from Melvin Ingram and dives into the end zone. I think that in itself just like Boyd has, he's a captain now. He's a bona fide leader of this team, and he kind of set the tone with how they were going to approach this game. Like, yeah, the Steelers—they're going to punch, but instead of punching back, you're just going to play better. And that is really just how the dynamic of this rivalry has to change. For so many years, I think people wanted like Vontaze perfect impact of it, like yeah, be the bigger bully, right? Just punch back because they've punched at you so much. Be the better team. That's what they were on Sunday. And that's why they won. Love it. Great synopsis right there. That's that's. That's basically it in a nutshell. That's basically a great win by the Cincinnati Bengals, 24-10 over the Pittsburgh Steelers in week three. A big win for them, the rematch coming later this season. But the Thursday night clash ahead, which we will preview in just a little bit, with the Jacksonville Jaguars providing an interesting test for the Cincinnati Bengals. We've got to state your case coming up before we get to that, John. Let's tell the folks about Symbol, as if they may not know at this point, but Symbol is the stock market for sports and you get incentives as our listeners for going and signing up for symbol. If you use the promo code OBI, you get a free week of symbol gold, but John folks can go to S I M B U L L dot A P P backslash OBI and invest in teams, sports teams like their stocks. So if you play the stock market, fantasy football, survival football, I would think John, that this is a no brainer. Absolutely, man. Symbol is the stock market for sports, which allows you to trade sports teams 
just like stocks. And when they do well, you can earn cash payouts. When your teams win, you can hold on to them in case they want to win a Super Bowl or two and watch your dividends increase. Or you can cash out for some type of a short-term game. Symbol has blended sports and in the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off of your favorite teams without the high fees and high losses of gambling. It really is a, a paradise for people with advanced sports knowledge to leverage that knowledge and make a lot of money. I've been unfortunately locked out of my symbol account the last couple of weeks, but I had to reset my password. So we have a three week outlook on what the Sim Bengals market looks like. After they beat the Minnesota Vikings, their price skyrocketed from $54 to $65. Mm-hmm. And then it dropped down to $59.95 after the embarrassing Chicago loss. But it's flatlined since then, even after the impressive win over Pittsburgh. So if you consider this kind of a low for what you expect the Sim Bengals price to be, get in on that. And if you want to invest in other teams, they have every NFL, MLB, NBA, and college football team on the market. So definitely get in on some of this fun. But before you do that, definitely go to symbol.app. That's symbol.app, S-I-M. B-U-L-L dot A-P-P backslash OBI. Use the promo code OBI to get a free week of symbol gold. It helps us out too. So get in on this action with that incentive. Man, I know some people, some of our listeners got in on the ground level of investing in the Cincinnati Bengals when we first partnered with symbol and man, they've probably like tripled or quadrupled their money at this point in time. So uh, go check that out. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We've got a state your case coming up. let's put that offense back into the spotlight for this week because last week it was the topic of conversation. What the hell happened against (laughs) why was that offensive line? So putrid, why were they not throwing the ball when they should have, why were they not attacking downfield after another win with similar offensive production? Like it was in week one, some of those questions started to subside, which is kind of how this analysis goes, right? Depending on the results of the game is how critical we are with the decision-making from the coaching staff. But again, Kind of saw very similar things 
not not as dependent on playing and throwing the ball out of empty sets. There was more help and pass protection for Joe Burrow. And I think that made a difference, even though the Steelers had some injuries with their pass rushing unit. But overall, they still leaned on the running game a lot. They had a perfect uh, run pass ratio. I think it was like 18 and 18 for both of them. And it was one of Joe Burrow's most efficient games of his career. He had three touchdowns and only one interception. And they attacked the the, the they attacked the Steelers secondary down deep earlier in the game that they, they than they did against the Bears. But I think, like we talked about in the second half, when the offense kind of stalled and they had basically three straight three and outs, a lot of it goes back to that conservatism in this in this overall scheme and this overall plan of attack here. And through three weeks now, they lead the league by a long shot in first and second down run rate, and that is typically not very good. And if you want an efficient and high powered offense, so. Now we're in week four, and not only are, are the Bengals 2-1 now, but I think also, we didn't really talk about this with the Steelers stuff, Joe Burrow did in many ways look like his old self. Not just throwing the ball, but also making plays in the pocket and actually getting calling his own shot and, and getting that draw play out of empty and almost picking up a first down there. But taking on a Steelers defender in the second level and taking on a hit like that, I think that was an eye-opener for the, the coaching staff and his fellow teammates to say like, okay, this guy is starting to feel himself again. This guy is starting to get more comfortable with this new knee going off of now three tough defenses. They're entering a stretch here where they have the Jaguars, the Packers, and I think the lions in like three straight weeks, all three of those defenses are not very impressive. They should have no problem passing against all three of those defenses. So one could say that this Thursday night would be the start of the offense kind of opening up more because Burroughs seems to be more comfortable. He seems to be more healthy and they can finally start unleashing some of these passing concepts and not being afraid to throw the ball in first and second down, because that is so important if you want to compete with the best teams in the AFC, in the AFC North or just the AFC in general. But my case with this week is that I think we see one more kind of conservative attack on a short week. I don't think anyone is necessarily afraid of the Jaguars defense right now. So I don't think that they're going to be too concerned about being aggressive against them. I think they feel confident that Joe Mixon can do whatever he wants against against their rushing defense, and their offensive line is playing well enough where they can continue to do that. So I think beyond this game, we start to see the offense open more, open up a little bit more. But I do think that with the shortened week and just with some injuries to deal with as well, I do think that we see one more week of ultra-conservative game planning and play calling. And then at, after this we have really all systems go. And that will just be the story of the season when we look back on this. The first four weeks are just getting Joe Burrow's training wheels slowly off, and then it's full pedal to the metal after that. Hard to disagree. I'd like to see this week as a bit of a transitional week into what you're talking about. And what I mean by that is maybe, you know, you, you add in the occasional wrinkle, you add in some of these screen passes and get Mixon involved in the passing game a little bit more. Uh, do Just kind of, you know, spread the ball out a little bit more and still make it high, high completion type of passes for Joe Burrow, but kind of, you know, mix things up a little bit more. However, it's, it's hard to get really disparaged or disappointed in what the Bengals have shown on offense, given what Jamar Chase has given them, given the fact that T Higgins missed last week and they still were able to put up 24 points on the road against the Steelers defense and uh, still be able to complete deep passes and, and get five yards per carry on the ground. 
I'm with you. I think I think we'll see an opening up of things. I do think there are a, a number of variables though as well. I think the Bengals still probably need to have a. It seems as if Jackson Carmen's going to get the the start again this week in place of Xavier Suofilo. So I think they want to make sure that last week maybe wasn't just an anomaly with that highest pass blocking PFF score across the Bengals offensive line that he can prove to be at least pretty consistent in the pass blocking department and, you know, hopefully in the run blocking department as well. But that's, that's a piece they want to probably monitor. Should he hang on to the starting job, even when Sue Filo comes back healthy. So, you know, I think there's kind of some variables like that, but I do agree that this week may still be a bit of a transitional week for the Bengals offense. It is hard just to come off of four days rest and play yeah. a complete game in a, a, a clean game. That's why these Thursday night games are just really wacky sometimes. And they can sometimes lead to shootouts. They can sometimes lead to defensive slugfests. The offensive line, a lot of people got upset with pro football focus because they kind of graded the five starters pretty harshly despite the no sacks. And I think only like technically one hit on Joe Burrow. But if you watch that game back, you see some whiffs from Trey Hopkins against Cam Hayward. You see some whiffs with Quinn Spain, even on the touchdown um, pass, uh, or excuse me, the, the two plays before that touchdown, Jonah Williams almost got Joe Burrow stacked, had Burrow not gotten the ball pretty quickly there. Carmen and Reef both played very well in pass protection, but there were still some shortcomings with the offensive line. And you have to think that if TJ Watt is out there, he makes that big of a difference. And he probably impacts what the Bengals protection plans were going to be that his absence definitely helped the Bengals offensive line out a lot. So it's fair to say that, you know, while they played well, it's not a hundred percent on board with this unit having taken the next step against the team that they usually falter against. So this could just be one more week of just playing against a defense line that has talent, but it's not really all built together with Jacksonville just to see how they perform as a unit one more time. But Going back to Carmen, I think he's done enough at this point to just play over Suofilo because if he's going to play like this, like there is nothing that Suofilo can do more than him at this point where you don't want Carmen to get those reps. And I think the biggest improvement could just, could just be in pass protection, honestly. I think he's just a more fluid pass blocker. He's got just better, quicker, and more nimble feet for a guy that size. And that's really what they need. And also along with that, like he handled a lot of the stunts that Pittsburgh threw his way very well. Like even Riley Reef was confused at some, at some times. But I think Carmen communicated and recognized what they were doing more times than not. And that's honestly more important than anything with run blocking because if they can't protect against some of these uh, blitz packages that the Ravens and the Browns are going to roll out for four times this year, it's not going to help that much. So when you bring this up, John, what is it you're hoping or looking for in terms of play types, play calls, formations? Um, I mean, what, what, what's, what are you, when you say opening things up maybe by week five, what is it specifically your more, just more pass attempts in general? Um, what, what is it specifically maybe you're thinking of in terms of the Bengals opening things up? Yeah, I, w- I would say just more passes in general. I think like yeah. their vertical concepts, like they're they're all there right now. Like uh, um, Bengal Sans on Twitter, he's really good at identifying what route concepts that Burrow and Chase like to run. And they're running this similar one from LSU. It's called the 989 uh, yeah. um, uh, concept where they have two nine routes on the outside and have a bang eight uh, from the slot with Tyler Boyd. Like they've gotten like two or three touchdowns on that play already this year so like their concepts when attacking um 
uh, down the field. Like they're they're already there. But I th- I just think that in general, just be more aggressive on first and second down. There's no real use in running the ball on second and, and ten and second and nine. I get the theory that you know you want to gain like three or four yards to get third and manageable, but you can sustain longer drives and quicker drives if you just aren't afraid to just let your quarterback drop back in those situations. Yes, they are obvious passing situations, and that's why when you look at passing over expectation, like the Bengals are dead last because they're running the ball in a lot of the situations and protecting Burrow from getting hit in those situations. But I just think that you can expect better and more sustained drives if you're more aggressive on those downs because odds are you're going to complete more passes than not and you're going and you're going to move the ball in those situations and you're going to keep out a third along. Yeah, I think the other caveat with this, and we'll talk about this in in the injury report as well coming up for the Thursday night game, but I think the other caveat in the Bengals opening this up maybe by week five is is T. Higgins, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so he's he's got to play a huge part in that. You know, I mean, the Bengals were able to get by without him, but he is a huge weapon and and others were stepping up. Auden Tate had a nice catch. Mike Thomas had a nice catch last week, but they don't provide the consistency that T Higgins does and the threat that T Higgins does. So I think while we may see because of a, a weaker secondary by Jacksonville and maybe some things to exploit there, John, I think that next week, you know, presumably when T Higgins is back and healthy and all of that, that's probably playing into what you're talking about. And I think Aaron Matt said this really well in one of his five keys to victory against the Jaguars, which you can read on Cincy Jungle, it's hard to install a new game plan just three or four days in, in advance in preparation. I, I don't think that they're going to change up a lot of things just on this short week. And knowing what they did last year, like Joe Mixon ran all over the Jaguars defense. And I, for, from my knowledge, the defense hasn't changed that much. Obviously, there's a new defensive coordinator with a new coaching staff, but I think the personnel is by and large the same. And the offensive personnel on the Bengals side has only improved. So I think they look at Mixon even on like three or four days rest saying, you better get ready for 20 and 25 more carries because you know there, there's a good chance that we're going to rely on you because we trust you against this defense. Well, we'll see what happens there. A, a good a good case to state this week and probably one that we will see in uh, come to fruition, I would think, by, by the time the Green Bay. And, of course, the other thing, too, is the fact that these next two games are at home for the Bengals. Them playing at home is obviously a bit more friendly for the offense in terms of noise, communication, all of that. So um, unless you have anything else to add to finalize your state, your case, John, uh, we can start maybe talking about this Jaguars game. No, I think you did make a good point about about Higgins. Um, it's that injury is a little weird to me, considering that he, I, I, I guess, played through it um, against the Bears. He injured mm-hmm. that shoulder like on like his last or his second to last catch. Then he came back in the game and caught a touchdown. I don't know if he was close to playing on Sunday, but you have to figure that if he wasn't playing last week, then he definitely wasn't going to play this week. So having him back in the lineup definitely changes things. But, you know, I, I think that their plan in replacing him was decent too. They rotated, I think, three receivers to replace him. Trent Irwin got some snaps, and then on Tate and Mike Thomas took the took the boatload or the, the line share of those reps overall. So I, I think they're in a good position to replace him for the time being, but definitely having him back with how much that he's improved and how much he's he's how much better he's looked, that definitely makes a difference too. Yeah, it's it's a shame. I mean, basically, in the first three games, he left the first game early with cramps, came back. Uh, second game, had the shoulder injury, left for a little bit, came back. 
and then didn't play in the third game. And then as we transition to talking about this Thursday night game against Jacksonville, John, it looks like he's not going to play. Is that where we should maybe start is the, the injury report that we received as of Wednesday? Right. So because we're, we're on a short week and we're recording Wednesday, we have the final injury report instead of the initial injury report to give you guys. Unfortunately for the bad news, Higgins will not play with that shoulder injury, as well as Jesse Bates, who suffered a neck injury when making a tackle out of bounds against the uh, Steelers. Aside from that, I think it's Chidobi Awuzie, who was doubtful with a groin, even though I believe he was dressed for practice the last two days. And Xavier Suofilo is also doubtful, but uh, Zach Taylor did announce on M- Monday's press conference that Jackson Carmen will w- will get this start. So obviously Higgins being out is a big loss, but this is Jesse Bates' first missed game in his now fourth year. And I don't know about you, Anthony, but like I know I know Bates has, I think, made more tackles this year um, in the first three weeks than he's had in like the first three years of, of like the start of those seasons. But it's it's kind of felt like because the rest of the defense is kind of picking up the slack from last year. We haven't really noticed Bates that much. He hasn't been making these impact plays that he's had to make um, over the past year because of how bad the defense has been. But I really think that this could be a case of we won't notice the impact that Bates has until he's not out on the field and they have a backup in there to replace him, even against the rookie quarterback of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting with this one, similar to the, the Higgins injury, uh, Bates and and Bell played 100 percent of the snaps last week, so mm-hmm. you know it's not like Bates left the game, and there was this was kind of known. It was just kind of said after the after the game. Oh, by the way, he's got a neck injury, and now he's not playing this week. Maybe they are being super cautious with all with both of those guys because they know how valuable they are on each side of the res, you know their respective units there, and they don't want an IR situation if they go out there and try and push it, especially on a short week. So maybe they're just being very conservative about the approach with these two, but you know, I, I, this one worries me a little bit and we can, we'll talk about, you know, what the, what this means for the game here, but you know, this one worries me a little bit because if you've got a woozy, a doubtful um, Darius Phillips had a hand injury. Did, what was he, was he back? Uh, I didn't, I didn't see much on him. He, I think he was limited on Monday or, or would have been limited on Monday in a simulated practice. So he's kind of banged up. Um, you know, you've got Wayne's coming back for his potentially his first game. He is a go, um, against the Bengals. I don't know the secondary against a team that likes to throw the ball against a Trevor Lawrence. That, that is a little worrisome. It is kind of funny, though, because like the first three weeks, it was like, OK, Trey Waynes just has to get healthy so that Eli Apple can go back to the bench. And then finally, Trey Waynes is healthy, but Doby Woozy could be out behind him. Right. So I don't know if that means that Eli Apple stays in the starting lineup to start for Woozy, who did not practice at all this week. So doubtful basically means he's out at this point. Or is it going to be Darius Phillips, who I think he's limited um every first practice of the week just for like maintenance issues but this time he had like a hand injury so yeah it's added to the laundry list of, of his injuries but yeah trey wayne's debut comes without jesse bates and judobi wuzier so we still haven't seen the full effect and impact of this rebuilt secondary and hopefully we'll see it against green bay what expectations do you have for wayne's coming back here um you know he hasn't played football in basically a year and a quarter uh, obviously I know everybody's a little sour about the contract he has signed and the time he has missed. Um, he, he was looking pretty good in, in training camp and then he got, you know, he kind of retweaked the, the hamster or I, I should say injured the other hamstring. <laughs> he had two different hamstring injuries this, this off season. So 
Well, I mean, what what are realistic expectations in this one going up against some decent receivers from Jacksonville? I'm not even going to BS it. I have no idea. Like he is like the time between his last game and this game is basically the same as the time between Jonah Williams's last game in college and his first game with the Bengals because he missed his entire rookie season. So I have no idea what a starting cornerback looks like off of 20 months rest. I know that the last time he was on the field, he was at best just a decent player, but the Bengals obviously have higher expectations for him compared to based off what they're paying him. But he's going against, you know, one of DJ Chark or Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones, the second game in Cincinnati since leaving in 2016. And he's got a quarterback that's not willing or not afraid to throw the ball down the field with no regard for the secondary. So Mm -hmm. like Trevor Lawrence is going to be aggressive. He has been aggressive for the first three weeks. And Trey Wayne's better stay on top of those routes because Chark and Jones can get behind him if he's not careful. So I know we want to talk about Urban Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence, and and you've got some some questions and statements on that. I guess since we're talking about the injury report and we're talking about Trevor Lawrence and and you know what he brings the talented wide receiver core, the the fear I think some of us or maybe some of us who are a little more cynical than other Bengal fans and whatnot is the old trap game. And I spoke with JP Acosta um, the, the other night and we, in our conversation, I kind of said tongue in cheek a little bit. Like, I don't like saying trap game to other teams because the Bengals have been on the other side of that (laughs) moniker for a really long time. But I mean, look, you've got a banged up secondary, a quarterback who likes to throw the ball a lot, a team that's and three and, you know, is, is hungry to get their first win. Urban Meyer comes back to the state of Ohio. I don't know. It's just, just looking too far into this thing. We're a little too close and the Bengals are just a, a vastly superior team at this point. Or is this one scaring you at all? The Bengals are a vastly superior team compared to the Jaguars, but it's still a trap game. Like, it, yeah. like Chidobi Wuzier, you know, right after the Steelers game, he like found a picture of all the experts picking the Steelers over the Bengals. All the experts are picking the Bengals over the Jaguars right now, not only to just win straight up, but to cover the seven and a half point spread. Like there is no confidence in the 0-3 Jaguars to even compete against the Bengals on a short week coming off of a very, you know, emotional and impactful win against their arch rival. It's 100% a trap game. The Jaguars may not be good, but I think Trevor Lawrence is arguably the most talented quarterback that they're going to have played in this entire month. I think compared to Kirk Cousins, Andy Dalton, and the current version of Ben Roethlisberger, Trevor Lawrence probably has the best arm out of all of them and can make more throws than all of them. The problem is he's 22 years old and he's playing his first NFL games. He doesn't really know what he's doing yet. He's just, you know, he's being that guy in Napoleon Dynamite. See those mountains over there? I'm going to throw them <laughs> over there. Like that, that's basically his, ma- that's, that's his mindset right now. And honestly, I'm kind of here for it because – there's no expectations for the Jaguars this year. They they might not win a single game for how bad that they're playing. It's all about just getting the mistakes out of Trevor Lawrence's stomach right now. But some of those mistakes can end up being positives against a, a secondary that's not going to have two other starters. So the Bengals be, better be prepared to score points because this Jaguars offense hasn't clicked efficiently yet, but there's always a time for something. I'd like to think that the Bengals defensive front, namely the big plays from Logan Wilson, the pressure that we talked about with the Bengals defensive line, you know, those are things that should be able to help remedy some of the, the absences in the secondary. But you've got a much more mobile guy 
for his, especially for his size in Trevor Lawrence than you have in Ben Roethlisberger. So if the Bengals are able to generate pressure, it's going to need to not only come from, you know, one edge player at a time or one interior player. You're going to have to get probably two or or more people kind of getting getting pressure to be able to get the amount of sacks the Bengals have been able to generate in a lot of these games so far this year. That's actually a really good point. Like Trevor Lawrence is a much better athlete than people give him credit for. Yeah. I know Ohio State fans know that for a fact. Um, so I don't know if that changes what their plans are on defense. Do they want to contain a little bit more? Or they just want to pin their ears back and pressure them as much as possible. That would probably be my expectation. The Jaguars offensive line has done a pretty good job so far. Like their offensive line is pretty well built, but if this defensive line is as talented and as performing well as it's touted to be, then they shouldn't have an issue with confusing and pressuring a rookie quarterback. Well, obviously, and this is a storyline you you want to talk about a bit, John. Um, th- there's a lot of history here between the Jaguars quarterback and current head coach and the Cincinnati Bengals current quarterback. Uh, Burrow played, obviously, under Urban Meyer for a little while and was passed over for the starting job and then went on to LSU. And then he and Trevor Lawrence clashed in the national championship back in 2019. So, um I don't know. I know you want to talk about this this storyline, which I'm sure will, other than the Ring of Honor, will kind of dominate this game. Right. Like it's it's more than just you know two number one overall picks battling out. It's two number one overall picks that have gone or have gotten to this point with very different paths. Trevor Lawrence was was touted as like the next Andrew Luck as soon as he got out of um, Spartanburg or whatever uh, high school in Georgia that he went to. He was the number one overall recruit battling with Justin Fields for that for that title. But then Fields transferred to Ohio State because Joe Burrow ended up going to LSU after losing that quarterback battle when uh, um, Urban Meyer was still there at, o- at OSU. Urban Meyer recruited uh, Burrow, obviously, out of Athens uh, County. And so there there is history there. And I think a lot of fans would assume that Burrow is going to take that and just use it as like a chip on his shoulder because that kind of seems to be what he does and he does it so well, but I don't know how much is going to impact this. I, I feel like Burrow, you know, realizes that, you know, things have happened for, probably for the best for him. Like if he stayed at Ohio state, I don't think he probably doesn't believe he's the first overall pick. He ended up in a fantastic situation with LSU and Dwayne Haskins ended up being a first round pick as well when he won that battle. So, you know, everything kind of worked out for the best up until I guess Haskins kind of got demoted and, ousted from Washington but mm-hmm. you know Burrow ended up in the situation that's being that's pretty good for him at this point and being the first overall pick is definitely not nothing and I I don't know how much that he looks uh, at Trevor Lawrence as as that guy that I beat in the national title game he had nothing but praise to say about him in his press conference like he said he's only going to get better but he's already really good right now so th- this game will draw a lot of storylines and headlines with, in that sense but I don't know I, I think we we might have done a job of just maybe overblowing those storylines because I don't think that Burrow is going to really care that much about his former head coach that didn't like him that back then because you know like look at where I am now the grass is a lot greener. It worked out well for for everybody. I mean, some cynical people are saying you know with the zero and three start, is Urban going to bail and go to USC or something like that? I don't I don't see that happening. I think Urban is going to try and uh, right the ship in. Jacksonville for sure. One of the things I know you're you are a, a, a lot more adept at schemes, and uh, you know you break you do the weekly linemen and all of that at CincyJungle.com. You 
I think you wanted to talk about the rushing offense. Um, I, I don't know if you wanted to talk both Jacksonville and what the Bengals are doing with Joe Mixon, what they were able to do last week. I did, and I, I want to encourage our listeners, I did talk to, as I mentioned a couple times already, J.P. Acosta at Big Cat Country from SB Nation and talked about the loss of ATN in this tra- Travis Atn in this offense and how Robinson has still been able to fill out, uh, fill in things. And he says that Robinson's not even being used enough in this offense, but uh, I don't know if you've got thoughts on what the Jags are showing on their, from their run game and, and maybe what the Bengals are wanting to do with theirs. Well, I think that is what they're doing the best. The Jaguars, like they're running the ball pretty efficiently, even though that some of these games have gotten out of hand and they've gone some yardage at the end of the game. Like even just looking at um, when the win probabilities is below uh, 90% for the winning team, like Jacksonville still running the ball very efficiently with both James Robinson and Carlos Hyde. They're both averaging, I think, at least five yards carry. And they're both like, I think Jacksonville's overall rushing offense is top five and expected points added per play. So this is kind of the matchup of the game, I think. Like we have these two high profile quarterbacks that are battling out, but it's the Bengals top five rushing defense against the Jaguars top five rushing offense. And on a Thursday night game when there's short uh, rest and a lack of true preparation for this game i think that could be where the jaguars may end up keeping this game close if they pop some big runs off of this defense and that has shut down dalvin cook david montgomery for the most part and Najee harris if they continue to find success against them then that could be where this game kind of opens up but i think if you're the Bengals, you know you see the jaguars offensive line that has talent you have james robinson who i guess was voted in the top 100 uh players i think last year it's a very even matchup, and I think it could be really telling of where this defense actually is because, again, it's still a question of whether or not if they are as, as legit as a number say compared to the to the talent that they face. But this is a legit, impressive rushing um, offense that could end up giving them fits. I think a good transitional point into, you know, keys and predictions and everything is the, the second part of this discussion here which is what the Bengals are doing in terms of running the football and what they want to do. I think this is a good week. I know we want to see a little bit more of an aerial attack. I know we want to see those explosive plays. They are coming with more frequency than they did last year with Burrow, which is great to see. But I do still think, and maybe I'm just too old school, but I do still think this is a good week to commit to Joe Mixon a bit, commit to balance a bit, short week, physical game last week against the Steelers an emotional game last week and your your secondary is banged up you you probably want to think that the the Jaguars are wanting to exploit that I think the Bengals are going to want to maybe run the football I, I don't know necessarily more than passing it but I still think they're going to want to seek out that balance at least for this week like we talked about in our state your case right I think they know what works for them right now like they're I don't want to say getting away with not um, being aggressive on early downs but you know, the 2-1 the record kind of speaks for itself, and the Jaguars are the worst defense that they are going to face so far this year. And it's, again, kind of the beginning of the stretch of weak defenses that they have on the upcoming schedule. So, again, I think the, the short week, the lack of T. Higgins has a lot to do with this. But I think if they have to pass it, um, if the game gets pretty close, I think, you know, they shouldn't be that afraid of the Jaguars secondary. But, yeah, I, I would say Mixon's going to get fed a lot for at least one more week, and then we can kind of reevaluate where the offense stands as they enter week five. So what are your biggest keys this week, John? What do you think the Bengals need to do, need to achieve in order to get to three and one, which would be 
really, really, I mean, and, and then when you <laughs> we can go back and look at that Bears game and say, man, three and one, this could easily be four and oh, but whatever, that's in the past now. What do the Bengals need to do to be to be three and one to end the month of September? Honestly, think that if they don't turn the ball over, they win. Honestly, like it was a little bit shaky to see Burrow kind of overshoot Boyd uh, in the beginning of the Steelers game and have the ball be interception. You're thinking, okay, he's coming off a game where he's thrown three interceptions. Now he's got one interception out of the gate, and this this time he threw five interceptions all last year. He's got four through the first three weeks of this season. So kind of the the, the uh, dichotomy of the first and second year difference there. But yeah, if they just protect the ball, I think that they should have no problem outscoring the Jaguars. They don't really have a lot of players on defense playing well. Like they have Miles Jack. They traded away CJ Henderson at cornerback. They have Shaquille Griffin. They have names, but the unit is just not playing very well right now. And it's just, it shouldn't really scare any offense that has the capability of, of producing like the Bengals have. Like the Bengals just have too much talent on this team to not put up at least 25 points. And I don't think that you can count on Trevor Lawrence to put up that many points consistently or just in any game, especially going up against a defense that's playing as well as the Bengals. So as long as the Bengals don't make too many mistakes on offense, they shouldn't have an issue outscoring this team. Yeah. Does anyone remember the game last year between these two teams? I mean, the Bengals were, were winless. They were coming off that tie with the Eagles and, you know, you kind of felt like they were way better than their record indicated. And this was a, a get right game for the Bengals and they ultimately won, but there were a couple of things in that game that, made it a lot closer than it should have been. The defense didn't play all that well. Joe Burrow threw a pick in the end zone that Drew Sample theoretically could have come down with. Miles Jack made a, a great play in that in that regard. By the way, Joe Burrow called Miles Jack the, the best linebacker he's gone up against, I think, at the NFL level is what he was referencing this week. So he'll be seeing him once again this week. You know, this just screams, though, as it did last year, screams of a classic Joe Mixon big game type of thing. You know, some of the bigger runs – maybe getting involved a bit more in the passing game, getting in the end zone more frequently. I think that's a key. I mean, obviously all the standard things are, are key, blocking and getting after the quarterback. But I think some of the the finer things and things that get lost in Thursday night football games, John, tackling gets sloppy, right? I mean, I, I think the turnover battle, like you mentioned, is huge. If the Bengals have that totally lopsided, that is a huge, huge swing for them. But I think tackling and, and getting, as I mentioned earlier, with Trevor Lawrence being more athletic than Ben Roethlisberger can run a bit more. If they get their arms around him, if they grab him, they got to bring him down to the ground. We saw what happened late in the Chicago game with Justin Fields. Another athletic guy got right out of the grasp of Trey Hendrickson when he was dead to rights, it seemed. That kind of stuff can't happen. And it tends to, unfortunately, on a short week. Um, and the same thing. I mean, I'm sure the Jaguars and their defense are saying the same thing. You know, they're, they're coming off a short week. They're traveling, which is another thing that goes against them. But uh, it's the same kind of deal. I think some of the basics that get lost on these short weeks need to be done for the Cincinnati Bengals and, and not look at this as, hey, cakewalk. And we've got Aaron Rodgers coming up in, in a week and a half. We, they, need to, they need to take care of what's in front of them. I don't have any data or numbers to back this up, but I always kind of felt like Thursday night games do end up being sloppy. But for some reason in my mind, sloppy always meant like sloppy offenses and just low scoring slugfests. But that's just not the case in the NFL anymore. Like I had no idea that the Giants in Washington were going to produce like 61 combined points a couple weeks ago on Thursday night. Like that, that's just kind of how these things, these things go. And I think you hit the nail on the head whenever you see, you know, just not really fundamental football that usually comes on the, on the defensive side of the ball because it's just easier to score points now. So I think 
initially when I thought about this game, I'm thinking, okay, it's probably going to be low scoring. I think the over under is like 45 and a half. So it's probably going to be going to going to be the under there, but you have a, a banged up Bengals defense, a very bad Jaguars defense on a short week. I think we're going to see points in this game. Points are not going to come at a premium. I, I agree with you. We're going to start closing up here. John, you got a prediction for us before we drop the mic and get out of here. So I was on the Believe in Jaguars podcast. Definitely check out that episode. And my official prediction there was 31 to 28. But on the uh, Bengals, of course, but on the injury report, the Jaguars are not do not have their kicker. Um, I I guess Josh Lambeau is going to miss this game for personal reasons. And I guess he's not been kicking very well this season overall. So the host of the Believe in Jaguars told me to keep that score, but just erase the extra points. So 31 to 24, because they're not going to make an extra point. Okay. I will say, uh, so you said 31, 24, I'm going to go 34, 23. I think the Jaguars put up points, maybe get some garbage time yards and all that kind of stuff. Maybe make it a little interesting late, but I think the Bengals take care of the business here. And uh, I mean, this one worries me a little bit, especially with the injuries. Don't get me wrong, but um, I think this is a game the Bengals should win and and will if they do things the right way. And obviously it's a big night in Cincinnati. And I guess that's where I'll go for my mic drop is, you know, we were pleased enough to have Ken Riley the second, Ken Anderson and Anthony Munoz on our program when the inaugural class of the Ring of Honor shortly after that was announced. We were able, thanks to all of our listeners, to raise uh, over $2,000 and give it each out to each of those charities that they run. So it was a really cool month, not only to have those people on our podcast and honor them, but also the fact that we were able to help out their charities and, and uh, a big week. I know they're making appearances, not only at the stadium, but in, in various podcasts and around town. So um, really cool. And this is, this is going to be the culmination of something we've talked about John for a couple of months here in terms of, a changing of the stripes, if you will, with the Cincinnati Bengals and their organization and their honoring of past players. Not only with the ring of honor, but I think the both of us are going to know like more people in that stadium than basically any game in recent memory, because you just have an entire congregation of Bengals fans sitting in, I believe, section 154, the Goodberry, the Zim, the, the Ace Boogies, the Commissioner Yazes, the, the, the everyone. It's, it's that it's that section and they should be rocking and rolling. So um, if everyone runs into them, definitely take some pictures and keep the content rolling all th- all throughout Thursday night. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, we've got a lot of stuff coming up on Cincy Jungle and this podcast this week. So we'll be com- keep coming at you. Uh, John, someone had asked if you I think you're going to the blind pig tonight. So uh, to see our our buddies, Jake and, and James, who are out there, I, th- I think you are making an appearance. Are you not? Yeah, my only goal is to crash that live podcast and tell everyone to, to subscribe to OBI. So I will be down there. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, be paying attention to see if you live up to your end of the bargain on that one. But tell everyone there, hey, uh, for me, if you will. And uh, obviously, if you are um, also able to go see Zim and Ace, um, go check out their Twitter accounts to see where they are. Pretty cool stuff that they're able to do some live shows. We tried to do that when I was there week one. Unfortunately, I was just short on time and uh, just didn't work out. But another time for us in the future. John and I got to meet up. That's that's an important thing. So, um, hey, have a good time tonight. Have a good time tomorrow, bud. And we, uh, I don't know. Let's hope the Bengals take care of business. We'll see. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good week and enjoy Thursday night football. Jaguars, Bengals.
The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.